Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 103 of the show. It's definitely another information-packed episode for you. Lots to get into. Another good week in the National Football League. We've had a few more teams clinch a playoff spot, so we'll get into a standings update there. College football bowl season is a little more than halfway done. And uh, we've arrived at the college football playoffs, so we'll take a look at that. Do some standings updates in the NHL and the NBA, and then, of course, the Around the Island segment. A lot of info coming to you, uh, particularly in the NFL and the MLB. All right, so lots to get into there. We are going to start off in the National Football League. All right, we are through 16 weeks. We have two weeks left. Um in the NFL's regular season, every team has two games remaining. They've played 15, all right? And this past week, Thursday night football, uh, the Jaguars beat the New York Jets, all right, which significantly improved Jacksonville's playoff chances while significantly decreasing the Jets' playoff chances. Now, in that game, Jets quarterback Zach Wilson he got benched after going 9 of 18 for 92 yards and an interception. All right, He literally got booed off the field. Okay, Keep in mind that Zach Wilson was the number two overall pick last year in the 2021 draft. All right, And it appears that uh, this is his last year in New York. All right? I, don't, I don't know if he'll see the field again in these last uh, two games, but uh, it doesn't appear that he's coming back. And then on Saturday, we had a full slate of games on Saturday, which was Christmas Eve. Uh, had 11 games um, in total, I think. Had some frigid, frigid temperatures across the country on Saturday. And um, probably the coldest game of the week was in Cleveland. It was between the Browns and the New Orleans Saints. Had a wind chill of minus 21. Uh, now, the temperature of the South Pole... Uh, of planet Earth was minus 15. So technically the wind chill in Cleveland was uh, colder than the South Pole. All right, just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, But we did have some wild finishes too on Saturday. The Giants and Vikings, all right, that game came down to the last play. Vikings kicker Greg Joseph kicked a game-winning 61-yard field goal as time expired. All right, this gave the Vikings their 11th one-score victory of the year, which is the most one-score victories in a season in NFL history. Okay, the nightcap uh, on Saturday night featured the Vegas Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers. That one came down to the wire as well, and Pittsburgh rookie quarterback Kenny Pickett, he led his third career game-winning drive to get the Steelers the victory and back into the playoff mix somehow. I still, like I mentioned last, I still can't believe the Steelers are in the playoff mix, but 
they are. And uh, that brings us to uh, our standings update. We're actually going to change it up. We don't really need to cover the teams that are eliminated or um, not in the mix. So uh, we will do our playoff picture preview here and see how the playoffs are looking at the moment. All right, we'll start off in the AFC. The current number one seed in the AFC is the Buffalo Bills with their victory this past weekend. They have officially won their third straight AFC East division title. All right, they're 12-3, and beat the Bears uh, this past week. Close game. Bears actually were winning at halftime, I think, but uh, Buffalo turned it on in the end. So third straight uh, AFC East Division title there in Buffalo. The number two seed in the AF, uh, the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. They're also 12-3, and three, but Buffalo did beat them earlier this year. All right, so Kansas City looking really good, obviously. Uh, it's probably going to be between one of those two teams uh, for home field advantage. Now keep in mind, in the NFL this year, there's seven playoff teams, and only the top seed in each conference gets the first round by. So that's why it's important to finish first. Third seed currently in the AFCs, the Cincinnati Bengals. They've been absolutely on a roll. They're 11 and four. They beat New England this week in Foxborough, and uh, Joe Burrow leads the NFL in passing touchdowns. Uh, the guy is just incredible. And uh, that team, for starting out 0-2, uh, they sure have really turned it on. Uh, third seed, um, well, let me back up. The Bills won the AFC East. Chiefs have won the AFC West, right? Um, Cincinnati has clinched a playoff spot. They have done so because the Baltimore Ravens are just one game behind them with two left to play, including uh, week uh, 18 against each other. Uh, But the third, um, the fourth seed currently in the AFC is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are the current leaders of the AFC South at seven and eight. Now, this has been quite a rise, all right, Um, partly because Tennessee has had quite the fall but Jacksonville's playing some pretty good football, all right? Trevor Lawrence looks really good. They're healthy. Uh, Travis Etienne has 1,000 yards in his first actual season. Um, so Jacksonville's pretty scrappy, all right? Um, so those are your division leaders at the moment. The fifth seed currently in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens. They're 10-5. and five. They have officially clinched a playoff spot, okay? So uh, they're in the playoffs. And uh, it's going to come down to these last couple weeks to determine who wins the AFC North, whether it's Cincinnati or Baltimore. But like I said, those two teams do play each other this last week of the season here in a couple weeks. Uh, Sixth seed in the AFC is the Los Angeles Chargers. They have also clinched a playoff spot. All right, they're nine and six. Uh, They won on Monday night against the Colts this past week. So the Chargers are in. Chargers, this is only their second playoff appearance in the last nine years, which I thought is very surprising because they're always super competitive. Um, It's their first since 2018. I know they just missed it by a hair last year, but 
Two playoff appearances the last nine years. That just didn't seem right. And then the current seven seed in the AFC is the Miami Dolphins. Their eight and seven had a horrible loss to Green Bay at home this past week. Tua Tagovailoa is back in concussion protocol. Um, that dude might have marshmallows for brains by the time this year's all said and done. Um, but nonetheless, Miami, it looked like, what, seven, eight weeks into the season, Miami looked like they were going to win the damn division. And here they sit on the bubble of the playoffs in the very last spot there in the AFC. Uh, and speaking of on the bubble, the teams that are currently out of the playoff uh, playoff uh, conversation right now, but uh, certainly could climb into the playoffs. <clears throat> the New England Patriots are seven and eight. They're the uh, first team out. Uh, they own the tiebreaker over the New York Jets, who are seven and eight as well. So you have the Patriots, the Jets, the Tennessee Titans are seven and eight. Okay, they have lost, uh, f- I think, five games in a row. They had a four-game lead on Jacksonville, and. Um, they just completely blew that. And to make matters worse, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, he underwent ankle surgery this past week, so he's out for the rest of the year. Uh, that's just a crushing blow to Tennessee's playoff chances. There's no way they make the playoffs uh, with Malik Willis leading the way. Um, and they played my Dallas Cowboys this week. So, yeah, I don't think Ten- I think Tennessee's on the outside looking in there, but the other couple of teams that are still in the Pittsburgh Steelers somehow at seven and eight. Um, that's unbelievable. Um, they have done a lot of winning lately. And part of that's Mike Tomlin. Part of that's Kenny Pickett playing a lot better, finally getting the feel of the NFL. But somehow the Steelers have entered the chat. Now it's going to take a lot of work for them to get in, uh, a lot of help from other teams. But you know they're one game behind Miami. And then the Vegas Raiders at six and nine. I, I just they're mathematically still in it, but I don't think they're in it. Over in the NFC, so if you're you're keeping score at home, okay, five AFC teams have already clinched a playoff spot. That would be Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Los Angeles. All right, so there's two spots available, one of which is an AFC South division winner. And the other would be a wild card spot. <clears throat> Over in the NFC, top overall seed there is the Philadelphia Eagles. They're 13 and 2. They did lose another game this week to my Dallas Cowboys. All right. So I don't want to hear about Gardner Minshew, blah, blah. He threw for 350 yards. All right. Uh, that's more than Hurts would have thrown for. Uh, Minshew played great. All right. Uh, Cowboys just beat him. And that's just. I don't want to hear any excuses from Eagles fans, but uh, Eagles are up top, 13-2. and um, They're in the playoffs. They've clinched a spot. Second seed currently, the Minnesota Vikings at 12-3. and All right, they have clinched the NFC North. Again, just the most fraudulent 12-3 and you've ever seen. 11 out of those 12 wins have been one-score wins, all right, like we just talked about. Now, uh, Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson became the uh, Minnesota Vikings franchise leader for receiving yards in a season, passing Randy Moss. And he's only just over 200 yards away. I think it's 208 yards away from passing Calvin Johnson's record. Or um, uh, it's somebody's, yeah, single season record is like 200 and something yards away. So uh, I think he's going to do it. 
right? Uh, he's got two games. He needs, you know, call it 210 yards in two games. He might get that this week, but Vikings are currently the two seed. Three seed is the San Francisco 49ers at 11-4. and four. They have uh, won the NFC West officially. <clears throat> They're the three seed. And, uh, man, Brock Purdy just keeps on rolling. Every week I keep talking about how San Francisco is built to sustain a less than great quarterback, and all Brock Purdy does is go out and win. So I will refrain from commenting on that and until further notice. But 49ers, what you need to know about them is that they are very good, and you would not want to play them in a playoff game. The current four seed in the NFC is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're 7-8, and eight, and they lead the NFC South. Um, somebody's got to win this division, okay? Uh, more on that in a minute. Uh, it took another miracle for the Buccaneers to beat uh, the Cardinals with Trace Bleepin' McSorley as their quarterback, all right? Uh, the Buccaneers are bad, real bad. Fifth seed in the NFC, the Dallas Cowboys. All right, my Cowboys, they're 11-4. and four. They have officially clinched a playoff spot. Still can mathematically win the NFC East uh, if Philly loses the last two games and Dallas wins the last two games. Uh, Dallas would be um, the division champion, but uh, which would be huge. Uh, but I don't see that happening. Um, so Dallas sits in fifth. They're 11-4. and four. Looks like they're probably going to stay there. Um, but they've clinched a playoff spot. The sixth seed currently is the New York Giants. Uh, they're eight, six, and one. All right. Um, they lost to Minnesota, as we talked about, heartbreaking loss. But they're still sixth and seventh seed in the NFC. The Washington Commanders at seven, seven, and one. Okay, that tie is keeping them in there. Um, all four NFC East teams currently sit in the playoffs, which again has never happened. All four teams from the same division in the playoffs. And then the teams on the bubble, right, that are just outside the playoffs currently but can still get in, number eight uh, in the NFC, first team out of the playoffs as it sits now, the Seattle Seahawks at seven and eight. All right. The only way they're getting in is with a wild card, uh, and they're going to probably need a little bit of help. Uh, number nine in the NFC, the Detroit Lions. They're seven and eight. All right. They, they lost a horrendous game to Carolina. Uh, this week on the road, they just, that was certainly a winnable game. Um, eight and seven would look better than seven and eight, and put them in the playoffs. But they lost, so they're still on the bubble. Still can make it. Um, they have games. Uh, I think one of them's against Green Bay left. So you know that could be winnable. And speaking of Green Bay, um, they're also on the bubble at seven and eight. They beat Miami in Miami. And just when we thought the Packers are dead, here they are. Their playoff chances currently sit, I think, uh, it's like 35 38%. So they're going to need a little more help. But everything they needed to happen happened this weekend, um, which just shows you the Aaron Rodgers magic. Like, that's that five, they needed five teams to lose, and all five of them lost, right? And, um, and then they won. They beat Miami. So, um, I. Mark my word, the Green Bay Packers are going to make the playoffs. Somehow, they are going to make the playoffs. They're going to get clubbed, but they're going to make the playoffs. And then uh, these last two teams, they're only in the playoff mix because they play in the NFC South. Carolina Panthers 
and New Orleans Saints, both six and nine, both second in the NFC South behind uh, one game behind Tampa Bay. Okay, that division, um, Tampa plays New Orleans, I think, coming up. So, uh, or no, that's Car- Carolina plays Tampa this weekend, I think. So, who knows? Um, if Carolina wins their last two games, uh, one of which is against Tampa, then they would win the division. Wouldn't that be something? Um, but if you're keeping score at home, there are four teams in the NFC that have clinched a playoff spot. That would be Philadelphia, Minnesota, San Francisco, and Dallas. So there are three spots available in the NFC, which is one more uh, than the AFC. One of those would be an NFC South winner, and then two wild card teams. All right, so um, playoffs are coming quick. Um, we got um, some more good games this weekend. You know, this late in the year, pretty much every game is meaningful. <clears throat> but just looking ahead to week 17, Thursday night gets you started with uh, Dallas going to Tennessee to play the Titans. We don't have any Saturday games this week, so our normal Sunday slate. Um, some big games. You know, Miami goes to Foxborough to play New England. That's huge for both teams, really. Um, massive game there for both teams. New Orleans has to go to Philadelphia. I mean, that's certainly not a big game for Philly uh, because they're in. But New Orleans has a chance to potentially take the division lead if they win. Uh, Carolina and Tampa Bay, you know, I mean, that's... If Carolina wins, they're atop the division. Them and New Orleans, if New Orleans could win... They'd have the same. All three of those teams would have the same record. Um, yeah, that would be that would be something. Uh, let's see, Minnesota and Green Bay. Minnesota's at Green Bay. That that's at Lambeau, so that's a big in there for for more so for Green Bay. Kind of a must win for Green Bay. And then uh, Pittsburgh goes to Baltimore for Sunday Night Football. That's certainly crucial uh, for Pittsburgh to make the playoffs. Certainly crucial for Baltimore to um, have a shot to win the AFC North. And then Monday night, doesn't get any bigger than this, Buffalo goes to Cincinnati to play the Bengals. All right, that's a heavy, heavyweight bout there uh, between two teams that are um, competing for that top overall spot in the AFC. So a lot of good football again coming at you this week via the NFL. And uh, we will certainly check back in next week to see how many more playoff spots have been clinched. But we'll move over to college football and bowl season. We are smack dab right in the middle of bowl season, probably a little past the midway point of bowl season. Uh, We recapped the first, I think, uh, 10 or so bowl games on last week's episode. We left off. uh, The last bowl we covered was the Myrtle Beach Bowl. That was on Monday, December 19th. On Tuesday, December 20th, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl there in Boise on the Blue Turf featured Eastern Michigan and San Jose State. Eastern Michigan dropped 41 and was able to win that one 41-27. Kind of surprising there, really. Later that night, we had the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, That was in Boca Raton, Florida. 
Uh, Toledo versus Liberty. This game was pretty close. Came down uh, pretty late. Um, Liberty looked like they may might come back, but uh, Toledo was able to hang on and win that one, twenty-one to nineteen. On Wednesday, December twenty-first, we only had one bowl game. That was the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Western Kentucky and South Alabama. The spread on this thing was pretty heavy in favor of South Alabama, and all South Alabama did was get tuned up to the tune of 44-23. to Western Kentucky, uh, the Hilltoppers are your winners there in the New Orleans Bowl. That was another surprising game, uh, one that I got wrong uh, in my uh, bowl pick'em. The next night, Thursday, December 22nd, was the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. That was here in Fort Worth, Texas at Amon G. Carter Stadium. And the temperature that night was in the single digits uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. Yes, it was. Uh, if you watch the game, uh, it looked miserable. Um, if you live down here, you know it was miserable. Not sure how those guys played in those. Um, I mean, it just it was windy, too, man. It wasn't just like air temp. It was it was. 30-mile-an-hour winds. Uh, it was Air Force and Baylor uh, was that matchup. This one was uh, – the point spread was made it more of a pick em game. I think Baylor was technically favored, um, but it wasn't by more than a field goal. Uh, but Air Force tuned them up. 30-15 to 15, uh, really got a hold of them there on the ground. I mean, that's what Air Force does is run the football – uh, and they were very successful. They did throw a few passes, too, which caught Baylor off guard, and uh, Air Force was able to uh, get through that cold weather for a 30-15 to 15 win there. On Friday, December 23rd, we had a couple of bowl games. The Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl it was Houston and Louisiana, and that was in Shreveport, Louisiana, so a little bit of a home game there for the Ragin' Cajuns. Uh, but the Cougars, uh, Houston came out on top there, 23-16. The Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl, uh, that was at Raymond James Stadium there in Tampa. That was Wake Forest and Missouri. Uh, this game was pretty close late. Uh, Wake Forest got a relatively late score to go ahead for good to win 27-17. to I thought Missouri was, was going to make the comeback, but uh, not so much. Then on Christmas Eve... The next night, we had uh, one bowl game. That was the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. That was Middle Tennessee State and San Diego State. That was out there in Honolulu. And uh, Middle Tennessee State came through with the dub, 25-23, hard-fought game there. And then uh, Christmas, no bowl games. Uh, The day after Christmas, the 26th, we had the Quick Lane Bowl. That uh, featured New Mexico State and Bowling Green. Again, this one, uh, New Mexico State was your winner, 24-19. That was in Detroit at Ford Field. So pretty much a home game for Bowling Green there. They're just right there in Ohio. But um, New Mexico State got out to a a pretty good lead. I think it was uh, 24-13 or 24-12. Bowling Green scored pretty late to make it 24-19. Uh, but New Mexico State was in control of that thing. On uh, Tuesday, December 27th, we had uh, four bowl games, actually. We had the Camellia Bowl. It was Buffalo and Georgia Southern. Um, that was in Montgomery, Alabama. Buffalo came out on top there, 23-21. Uh, 
The Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, that was here in Dallas uh, at SMU Stadium. Uh, pretty decent weather for that one. Uh, pretty warm and, I say warm, relative for this time of year. Got into the 40s, I think, with some sun. Uh, Memphis pretty much dominated that one from start to finish, 38-10. to 10 over Utah State there, and then we had the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. All right, that was uh, that was in Birmingham, Alabama. That was East Carolina versus Coastal Carolina. So uh, two teams from the Carolinas meeting in Alabama to play a bowl game, and uh, East Carolina was, was heavily favored in this thing, and uh, they put out just a, a beatdown of the Chanticleers there in Birmingham. 53 to 29 was your final score there in that bowl game. East Carolina, the Pirates were your winners. And then um, the guaranteed rate bowl is being played uh, as I record this. All right, it's Wisconsin versus Oklahoma State there at Chase Field, baseball stadium there in Phoenix. It's been a really good game. Uh, Wisconsin got out to a pretty good lead. And uh, here late in the game, Oklahoma State has a chance to uh, drive the ball down the field and tie it. So uh, we will uh, check back in uh, on that game on next week's episode just to let you know who won that along with the rest of the bowl games along the way. Now I will say uh, this is the last episode before the college football playoffs, so we will quickly preview uh, these two playoff games. All right. The uh, both of the college football playoffs are, are Saturday, uh, January. I mean uh, December thirty first. This Saturday, right? The first one is the Verbo Fiesta Bowl that features number two Michigan against number three TCU. All right, this uh, this is at uh, State Farm Stadium. I think they're calling it now, uh, which is in Glendale, Arizona. All right, and um, Michigan versus TCU. All right. Uh, I did mention this several episodes back, but uh, I will uh, mention this again. This game, uh, you know, Michigan has been a dominant second half team. All right, they historically good, right? And like they have a plus one hundred and eighty six point differential in the second half this year, which is the second highest margin for any FBS team through uh, twelve games over the last 10 seasons. So, like, this is a historically good second-half Michigan team. They can run the football. That's how Michigan gets you. They uh, run it with uh, J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback that can run. They also have Donovan Edwards. Uh, He's going to be very active. And um, they just beat you on the ground, wear you down, and then uh, pounce on you late in the game, that second half. Now, that's problematic for TCU. They have a good defense, but... TCU, uh, look at their track record this year. They got down in a lot of games and had to make uh, quite a few, I think five or six second-half comebacks. Uh, That's not going to work against Michigan uh, because of how dominant Michigan is. Um, TCU can run the ball too. Kendra Miller has a rushing touchdown, I think, in um, 14 straight games dating back to last year. So, of course, Max Duggan, their quarterback, was a Heisman Trophy uh, runner-up finished second in the Heisman voting. So uh, they got playmakers too. Quentin Johnston, their wide receiver, he's going to be a first-round pick. So, I mean, TCU, 
uh, ought to be able to hang, but I just think Michigan, um, I think that Big Ten style of play uh, bests the Big 12 style of play. So uh, I'm going to say that Michigan beats TCU in that game. And then the other playoff game after that one on Saturday night is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. That's at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Features number one Georgia versus number four Ohio State. It's a home game for the Bulldogs there in Georgia. Uh, They're undefeated. Uh, They have not lost um, since the 2020 season. They're the reigning defending, reigning and defending uh, national champions. They, too, have a Heisman finalist in Stetson Bennett. Their quarterback, that defense, is just straight nasty. And they are favored against Ohio State. Not too often Ohio State comes in as an underdog, but they are. They have a Heisman finalist at the quarterback position, C.J. Stroud. All right, And, of course, that offense is absolutely loaded with weapons. Marvin Harrison, Jr., uh, you can't really cover that guy. Uh, Emeka Egbuka. Uh, I don't know if I'm sure Travion Henderson, the running back, is going to be healthy for this one. I think if Ohio State can put points uh, on Georgia's defense, I think they'll have some success. Ohio State's defense, though, has to play a lot better than it did against Michigan. They were absolutely horrible against Michigan, uh, and that's what lost them the game in the second half. Their defense basically uh, took an early exit. So... You know, Ohio State playing a little bit of defense would probably help. Georgia's offense is not the scariest uh, in the playoffs, but uh, they they can do some damage. Uh, so I I it's you know we're talking about two powerhouse teams, right? I think Georgia's technically favored. Um, I'm gonna lean Georgia on this one. One because they haven't lost a game in a year and a half, and uh, they're the reigning national champions. Two, they're playing in Georgia. So it's that stadium is going to be a lot more red, uh, Georgia red than Ohio State red. But um, I, you know, Ohio State has a chance. I'm not. I'm not saying that they don't. All right. I think if TCU ended up in that four spot, I think it'd be a long day. But if there's any team that can keep up with Georgia on the offensive side of the football, it most certainly is Ohio State. It just comes down to the defense. All right, and how well uh, Ohio State's defense can play pressure Stetson Bennett get him outside the pocket and um you know keep him contained uh to the sidelines right make him throw on the run from the sidelines don't let him sit there and get time because he has several good options to throw to so I think for predictions give me Georgia and Michigan to make the national championship and I will say from Uh, Well, we'll have another episode, so we'll save that prediction uh, for when we actually know that matchup. But I will say this is the first college football playoff without either Alabama or Clemson. And my, oh my, how refreshing it is to see. Um, Yeah, just just thought I'd throw that out there. But again, next week we'll we'll give you a recap on the bowl games that happened, um, starting with the guaranteed rate bowl, which... Uh, it's coming down to the wire here as I record that, but uh, uh, we'll we'll let you know the final score on next week's episode. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a very brief standings update in the NHL. Most teams have played between 34 to 36 games, which is only a couple more games than 
where they were sitting last week's episode, and that's because the NHL had a three-day break in their schedule for Christmas Eve and Christmas, so uh, these aren't much different than they were uh, last week, so uh, I'll just give you the top four teams in each division and uh, some other notable info. In the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, they are the hottest team in the NHL. They have 52 points. They've won nine games in a row, and they have got a comfortable lead. All right, few-game lead on the New Jersey Devils, who have cooled off tremendously. They've only won three in their last ten. And then you get to the Washington Capitals. Uh, the Devils have 46 points. Capitals are third. They have 44 points. They're on a five-game winning streak. And then uh, this past Friday, Alex Ovechkin... He had two goals Friday, which gave him goals number 801 and 802 for his career. That means he tied and passed Gordie Howe for the second most goals all time in NHL history. Right? He was sitting on 800 for about a week, finally got over the hump. Now we can set his sights on Wayne Gretzky's 894 goals. Now, another record set by Ovechkin, he also passed Ray Bork for the most shots on goal in NHL history with 6,210. So a historic week for Ovechkin. And then fourth in the Metro, the Pittsburgh Penguins at 43 points. All right. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins, uh, they're up top. They have 57 points. All right. They are 18-0-2 at home. They have only lost twice, both of which in overtime in their first 20 home games. That is just ridiculous. Uh, watch out for their, – their Boston's legit. I mean, there's just no other – they're 27-4-3. I mean, that just doesn't even look right. Number two in the Atlantic, Toronto Maple Leafs at 50 points. They've won three games in a row. Number three in the Atlantic – Tampa Bay Lightning at 41 points. Um, they've won seven out of their last 10. And then the Detroit Red Wings sitting there in fourth in the Atlantic with 35 points. Um, they haven't played real well. They've only won three times in their last 10, but uh, they're sitting there. Buffalo Sabres right on their heels with 34 points. They're on a four-game winning streak. But they're fifth in the Atlantic. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars are still up top there. They've got a pretty good lead now. A huge victory the other night against Nashville in the last minute. Stars have 48 points. Uh, they've won seven out of their last ten, playing some really good hockey right now. Again, I, I certainly think they're a playoff team this year. It's just a matter of if they can be the number one seed in the West, if they continue to play like they have through the first 36 games. A lot of hockey left, I know, but, man, Dallas looks good. Winnipeg Jets are second with 43 points, five points back of the Stars. They're on a little skid, three-game losing streak at the moment. Minnesota Wild have 42 points, and then the Colorado Avalanche have 40 points. All right. Uh, a couple other Central Division teams, um, uh, well, I meant to mention with the Stars, uh, Captain Jamie Benn, he got his 800th career point the other night. He also moved into second all-time in Dallas Stars franchise history for goals scored. So milestone week for Jamie Benn there. Uh, Nashville Predators, they're currently sixth in the Central. Uh, but Roman Yossi, their captain, 
he became Nashville's all-time franchise leader in points with 567, passing uh, David Legwand, who I believe was their first-ever draft pick. Over in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights are up top there at 49 points. All right. Los Angeles Kings still in second at 46 points. Seattle Kraken, they're at 40 points, but they've only played 32 games, which is the fewest uh, in the entire Western Conference. So they still got a lot of games in hand, six games in hand on on the Kings, and they're they're six points back. So um, Seattle's got a lot of hockey left. Edmonton also has 40 points. They're technically in fourth. Uh, Calgary's fifth, 39 points. And the Vancouver Canucks are sixth in the Pacific with 35 points. And I only mention that because forward uh, Elias Pettersson, he recorded a five-point game the other night, which was actually the fourth five-point game of his career, which is insane. Uh, that's that's a lot of five-point games. Uh, it actually set a new Vancouver Canucks franchise record for most five-point games, which... Again, that's it's not easy to get five points unless you're Connor McDavid. But uh, Pedersen has done that. He's only been in the league a few years, too, uh, and he has four or five-point games. So pretty impressive stuff there. Again, don't want to spend a lot of time in the NHL. Still a lot of hockey left. Standings don't really look much different than they did a week ago thanks to that Christmas break. So hopefully by the time next week's episode rolls around, we'll have a little more uh, – little more hockey to discuss and a little more changes in the standings but we'll uh, we'll definitely check back in on that next week but we'll move over to the NBA do a standings update here in the NBA I don't have a lot of info to bring you uh, in the NBA but uh, we will do standings update as it currently sits a lot of teams have played uh, between 33 to 30 Six games, so we're pretty much right on course with the NHL. Just like I said, they would catch up over that Christmas break because the NBA, uh, not only did they play throughout Christmas, they had five games on Christmas, all of which were pretty good games. Um, But that's how they got caught up now to the NHL. So uh, we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics are 25-10. and They've won three in a row. They have re-overtaken the Milwaukee Bucks, who are 22-11. and 11. They're on a three-game skid. The hottest team in the league right now is the Brooklyn Nets. They're third in the East on a nine-game winning streak, 22-12. and 12. They're finally looking like the Nets that we th- all thought they would look like at the beginning of the year. Uh, it just took a, a while for them to get going. Cleveland Cavaliers are fourth at 22-13. and 13. Philadelphia 76ers, 5th at 20-13. and 13. They've won 8 out of their last 10. And then the New York Knicks are 18-17. and 17. They're in 6th. They've lost 4 games in a row, so they're going the wrong way. Indiana Pacers, 7th spot, currently in the East at 18-17. and 17. Miami Heat have moved up a little bit. They've, they're 17-17. and 17. They've won 6 out of their last 10. Atlanta Hawks are 9th. 17 and 17 and then 10th in the east the Toronto Raptors at 15 and 19 11th place in the east Chicago Bulls at 14 and 19 Washington Wizards are 12th at 14 and 21 then you have the Orlando Magic at 13 and 22 they have won 8 out of their last 10 games the Magic have 
Um, again, I mentioned last week Paulo Bancaro, phenomenal rookie. Certainly a big reason why they're playing so well. Uh, and then you have the Charlotte Hornets at 9-26. and 26. They've only won twice in their last 10 games. They've lost 8 out of the last 10. And to make that seem reasonable, the Detroit Pistons, they're 8-28. and 28. They have lost 6 in a row, including 9 out of their last 10. So Detroit's looking pretty good to get that top pick. Uh, but over in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets are up top at 22-11. and 11. They've won five in a row, eight out of their last ten, looking very dangerous thanks to Nikola Jokic. He has certainly entered the MVP conversation alongside Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum. Number two in the West is the New Orleans Pelicans at 21-12. and 12. They've won three in a row. Um... They hit a little skid last week, but they've kind of turned it around. Memphis Grizzlies are third in the West at 20-13. and 13. L.A. Clippers have climbed up to fourth in the West at 21-15. and 15. They've won seven out of their last ten. Phoenix Suns are fifth in the West. That's the lowest they've been in a while. They're 20-15. and 15. They've only won four times in their last ten games. Then you have my Dallas Mavericks at sixth in the West. They're 19-16. and 16. They've won four games in a row. Had a big win on Christmas Day against the Lakers. And then followed that up with a dramatic win the other night against the New York Knicks. In which Luka Doncic uh, just continued his quest for MVP. He had a 60-point game uh, after he hit the game-tying shot at the buzzer uh, against the Knicks. And ended up winning in overtime. So his stat line in that game was 60 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists, which is just preposterous. It's the first time in NBA history somebody has had a 60-20-10 stat line of that nature. Now, on Christmas Day, Luka had 33 points, which um, was also huge. But in the game before that, he had 50 points, so... Luka's just had an incredible week, incredible season. And if the Mavericks can, um, you know, play a little bit better consistently, Luka Doncic is going to have that MVP wrapped up. So just an incredible week by Luka Doncic. Got the Mavericks up to sixth place right now. Sacramento Kings are seventh at uh, 17 and 15. Portland Trailblazers, 18 and 16. Utah Jazz are 19 and 17. And then 10th place in the West, the Golden State Warriors at 17 and 18. They are 3 and 16 on the road, 14 and 2 at home. Again, I've mentioned if they're going to make the playoffs or, yeah, make the playoffs at all, that split's going to have to be get, uh, become a little more even. That road home split. Minnesota's 11th at 16 and 18. They've lost three in a row. Oklahoma City is up to 12th at 15 and 19. Los Angeles Lakers are 13th in the West at 14 and 20. Still without Anthony Davis, news got worse. Instead of being three to four weeks, it's now out indefinitely. So, uh, again, Anthony Davis spending more time in street clothes than he does on the court. That's pretty much what he does. 
14th in the West San Antonio. The Spurs are 11-23. and 23. And then last in the Western Conference, the Houston Rockets at 10-24. and 24. So a lot of basketball left to be played again, but um, main thing to know from this week is that uh, the NBA has officially caught up to the NHL in terms of the number of games played on their schedule. So we will check back in next week and see uh, how those standings look. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. A lot of information this week, uh, particularly in the NFL and the MLB, so we'll go ahead and get started here in the National Football League. Some big news to discuss here, the Denver Broncos. They have fired their head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, after just 15 games uh, as their head coach. They hired him before the season started. He made it 15 games and uh, got canned. Now, I mentioned this was a possibility. Uh, Probably four or five episodes ago, I I talked about how Nathaniel Hackett's probably going to get fired. Uh, So I am surprised that it took this long to do it. Um, That's that's pretty much it. Uh, He is actually the fifth head coach since 1970 to not finish their first season as head coach. And ironically enough, he's the second in the last two years because Urban Meyer had the same thing happen to him last year, albeit for different reasons. But yeah, so Nathaniel Hackett's gone in Denver. Uh, The Broncos are currently last in total points for the season with 232, which also makes them dead last in points per game at 15.5. Uh, they're 26th in offensive yards per game, and uh, that's just not good enough, right? They they actually were they were eliminated from playoff contention several weeks back, all right, which means that now Denver has missed the playoffs in seven straight seasons after winning Super Bowl 50, uh, which is the longest playoff drought in NFL history by a team immediately following the Super Bowl victory. All right, so now that's not all Nathaniel Hackett's fault, obviously, but this year certainly is on him. Uh, they gave him some pieces. Uh, the Broncos all off season last couple years really said, oh, all we need is a quarterback. Uh, so they went out and they got uh, Russell Wilson from Seattle, uh, gave up an absolute haul to get him. Um, then they brought in Nathaniel Hackett, who was Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinator in Green Bay last year. They figured that was going to fix their offensive problems, and it's been nothing short of horrendous. It actually has made them worse, right? Um, And it's a good thing they have a top-five draft pick coming, right? Uh, Oh, wait. No, no. They traded that to Seattle in the Russell Wilson trade. So uh, they don't even have a first-round pick next year, which – you would use to help get you out of this situation, but uh, yeah, they don't they don't have that luxury. All right, so just an absolute horrible situation there in Denver. Uh, the Broncos did name Jerry Roseberg the interim head coach. Now Roseberg was hired by Nathaniel Hackett during the season to aid him in clock management strategy. So I didn't even know we had coaches that were clock management strategists, but. Um, they do exist, and the, the, he is now the interim head coach for the Broncos. So, uh, obviously, some early names that have been floated around for the Denver Broncos job would be Sean Payton, uh, Dan Quinn, um, you know, just uh, D'Amico Ryans. Uh, just those are just some names kind of thrown around. It'll be interesting to see who ends up getting the job, but 
A couple of offensive linemen got some big contract extensions this past week. The Green Bay Packers, they re-signed Elgin Jenkins. Four years, $68 million. He's now the second highest paid guard in the NFL. And then the Cleveland Browns re-signed offensive tackle Jack Conklin. Four years, $60 million. 31 of that million is guaranteed. Uh, now Conklin, he's battled some knee injuries the past couple of years. Uh, but he is absolutely one of the best tackles when he's healthy. The problem is staying healthy. Um, some more NFL news. The 2022 Pro Bowl rosters were announced. All right. Now, you know, this uh, this year's Pro Bowl is a little different than they... I, I talked about this several weeks back. Uh, they They call it the Pro Bowl games this year instead of... Uh, having an actual uh, Pro Bowl, so they're just going to be like skills competition type uh, games, which I think is more fun, honestly. Um, you know, I it's just the game was getting kind of um, what do you call it? Just they they weren't hitting. It was kind of like two hand touch, which is a waste of time, really. So um, the rosters were announced for that. Uh, it still counts as a Pro Bowl selection on your resume. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles lead the way with eight players selected, and the Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs are tied for second with seven. Uh, 21 out of the NFC's 44 Pro Bowlers uh, are out of the NFC East. Uh, mentioned a bit ago that all four NFC East teams are currently sitting in the playoffs. Well, 21 out of the 44 Pro Bowlers on that side of the field uh, came from that division. There were only two teams without a Pro Bowl selection, the Chicago Bears and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I will say, if Justin Fields had played all season like he did the last uh, seven weeks or so, uh, he would probably be in the Pro Bowl. But um, your quarterbacks in the NFC Pro Bowl, Jalen Hurts, Geno Smith, and Kirk Cousins, you know, that's, that's kind of laughable. Running backs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, and Miles Sanders, certainly all deserving. Fullback is Kyle Huszczyk, the 49ers. Your wide receivers, you have A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, and Terry McLaurin. Tight ends, you have George Kittle and T.J. Hawkinson. Some offensive linemen, you have Trent Williams, Lane Johnson, Tristan Wirth, Zach Martin, Landon Dickerson, Chris Lindstrom. Jason Kelsey and Frank Ragnow. Then on the defensive side of the football, it's just gross. Nick Bosa, Brian Burns, Demarcus Lawrence, Aaron Donald, Jonathan Allen, Dexter Lawrence, Micah Parsons, Zadarius Smith, Hassan Reddick, Fred Warner, Demario Davis. Your cornerbacks, this is where it is a little interesting. Uh, you have Darius Slay, Trevon Diggs, Jair Alexander, and then rookie Tariq Woolen. Uh, Tariq Woolen, I believe, was a fifth-round pick by Seattle. Uh, he's done, played really well. Uh, safeties, you got Quandre Diggs, Buda Baker, and uh, Tala Noah Hufunga from San Francisco. So that's your um, your AFC team, or your NFC team, rather. Definitely stacked, right? Uh, that, uh, that NFC team certainly is stacked. On the AFC side, uh, it's also stacked, certainly, at the quarterback position. You have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. Running backs, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry. 
Wide receivers, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, and Jamar Chase. I mean, my goodness. Tight ends, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. Two, two of the best in the game. Offensive tackle, you have Laramie Tunsil, Teron Armstead, Orlando Brown. Inside, you got Joel Batonio, Quentin Nelson, Joe Tooney, uh, Creed Humphrey, and Mitch Morse are your centers. On the defensive side, I don't think it's as loaded as uh, the NFC, but you got Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, Trey Hendrickson, Chris Jones, Quentin Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, Matt Judon, Khalil Mack, TJ Watt, uh, corners, uh, uh, middle middle linebackers, I should say, Roquan Smith, CJ Mosley. Corners, you have two rookies, well, one rookie, Sauce Gardner, and then you have a second-year player in Pat Sertan, Marlon Humphrey and Xavier Howard. Safeties, you have Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, and Jordan Poyer. So there's a lot of talent on both those teams. Uh, I think the skills competition will be fun. It'll be a little bit different. Uh, the game itself just kind of got, you know, stale, I guess. Um, but <clears throat> it'll be fun to watch. And speaking of the Pro Bowl, we had a pretty significant retirement announced this past week in the NFL uh, two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, J.J. Watt. He has announced that he is retiring from the NFL after this season. He's a five-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, two-time NFL Sacks leader, and has won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. So he's never won a Super Bowl. Of course, he spent uh, most, most of his career in Houston uh, and then now Arizona. So uh, he has not won a Super Bowl, but... Uh, I certainly believe that he is a first ballot Hall of Famer when he becomes eligible uh, in several years. But um, congrats to T.J. Watt, heck of a career. But uh, we'll move over to Major League Baseball. And I mentioned last week that uh, we have crossed the 100-day mark until opening day. So it's more like uh, closer to 90 days until opening day now. So uh just feels like, again, the offseason has just flown by. We did have a couple of trades <clears throat> this past week of note. The first one, the New York Mets, they traded catcher James McCann to Baltimore, uh, the Orioles, in exchange for a player to be named later. So that, uh, that gives the Mets their new catcher. And then um, the Toronto Blue Jays, they added or... The, the, the Blue Jays traded Lords Guriel and catching prospect Gabriel Moreno. High prospect, probably the highest prospect in their system at the catching position, uh, to the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for outfielder Dalton Varsho. Now, Varsho did play some catcher last year, some outfield last year, kind of a real versatile player, very good on the base paths, very good defensively. And so that's going to be a big trade for the Blue Jays. I think uh, they sacrifice a little bit of power there, maybe with Guriel not in there. Uh, you give up a catching prospect, but catching is not really a, a point of weakness there for uh, the Blue Jays. They have Danny Jensen and uh, Alejandro Kirk, so uh, they're set there at catching. I think it's a good trade for the Blue Jays. Varsho is a, a good all-around player, and I think he'll make a difference there. Uh, some contract signings. We had a very interesting development almost immediately after last week's episode was released. All right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that the San Francisco Giants had signed shortstop Carlos Correa to a 13 year, $350 million deal. Okay. Well, 
The day before his introductory press conference was supposed to be held, uh, which, which this past week, the Giants announced that they had postponed the conference due to some medical concerns on Carlos Correa's physical. All right, I mentioned that on last week's episode. Well, early the next day, which was the day that the press conference was supposed to be, it was announced that the New York Mets had signed Carlos Correa to a 12-year, $315 million deal. Now, the red flag on Correa's medical ended up causing the San Francisco Giants deal to fall apart. So the Mets swooped in with their Monopoly money and uh, signed him to a similar contract. Now, a couple days after that signing... uh, Reports surfaced that the New York Mets had some concerns over Carlos Correa's physical. I believe it's his right leg, maybe ankle. That's the uh, area of interest. But, oh boy, uh, like, did the Mets not realize that something was wrong when the Giants voided the contract? Um, I mean, the Giants did offer Correa one year more and $35 million more on their deal. So it's like... If they had concerns about that, did the Mets just think that it wasn't there or didn't exist? Because uh, clearly there's something there. Now, uh, the reports also said that Correa and the Mets are really working on getting getting a a solution fixed. Um, So as of now, as of this recording, Carlos Correa is still on the Mets. That that contract is still uh, valid, has not been voided. So um, just an interesting, wild situation. Now, the Mets, they have spent an inordinate amount of money this offseason, all right, which has pushed their payroll, uh, assuming they keep Carlos Correa, that's pushed their payroll to almost $500 million this year, which is the highest payroll in MLB history, and it's not even close. Next closest payroll is a little more than $150 million less than what the Mets' current payroll is. So, I don't know how the Mets owner, Stephen Cohen, uh, has the funds to do this, but he's basically trying to buy a World Series. Uh, all the players that he's added, you can Google the list. It's There's about seven or eight uh, free agent signings thus far, obviously Justin Verlander being one of them, and now Correa. Um, but it's, uh, it's do or die for the Mets this year. If, if they don't win the World Series, this is basically going to be a catastrophic failure Uh, for the Mets, and quite laughable, for sure. Now, back to our uh, regularly scheduled free agent signings. Um, The Texas Rangers, they continue to just absolutely overhaul the rotation. They signed starting pitcher Nathan Eovaldi, two years, $34 million, includes a third-year option. Uh, I mean, literally, this entire rotation is brand new. Uh, for the Rangers, which is very exciting as a Rangers fan. The New York Mets, they signed catcher Omar Narvaez, one year, $8 million. They did that so they could replace uh, James McCann. The Los Angeles Angels, they signed uh, infielder Brandon Drury, two years, $17 million. That's uh, He's a really good player. I was kind of hoping that the Rangers would sign him, but uh, the Angels got him. Kansas City Royals signed pitcher Jordan Lyles, two years, $17 million. The Detroit Tigers signed pitcher Michael Lorenzen, one year, $8.5 million. The Chicago Cubs, um, they re-signed pitcher Drew Smiley, two years, $19 million. And they also signed catcher Tucker Barnhart, two years, 
six and a half million. Now Barnhart, uh, it's not really a flashy name, but he is a two-time Gold Glove winner who is going to have to replace All-Star Wilson Contreras, who left via free agency. So the Cubs had a big need at catcher. Barnhart <clears throat> will fill that. Cincinnati Reds signed first baseman Will Myers, one year, seven and a half million. San Francisco Giants, they made a couple of signings this past week. They had all that extra money left over after not signing Correa, so they went out and they signed Michael Conforto, two years, $36 million. They also signed relief pitcher Taylor Rogers, three years, $33 million. This actually pairs Taylor Rogers with his brother, Tyler, who is a relief pitcher in San Francisco, so they are keeping it in the family there. Uh, with in San Fran, <clears throat> and then the Philadelphia Phillies, they need to try and keep pace with the Mets as best they can. They signed relief pitcher closer Craig Kimbrell, one year, ten million. He's certainly not as dominant as he was, you know, several years back. But uh, he, when he's on, he's still very good. And uh, they needed to try and solidify the back end of that bullpen there, uh, especially. I'm sure they'll be playing a lot of tight games against the Mets this year. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, they signed 42-year-old pitcher Rich Hill, one year, $8 million. Um, he's definitely uh, one of the older pitchers in the league. Some other Major League Baseball news, the New York Yankees. They have officially named Aaron Judge their, the 16th captain in their team history. All right, He is only the third Yankees captain since 1990 and the first since Derek Jeter. All right, so... Uh, Captain Aaron Judge, Captain America there, certainly with that new contract the season he just had, uh, very fitting for Aaron Judge there. Uh, Dodgers starting pitcher Trevor Bauer, all right, he was suspended by Major League Baseball for a long time for a, a domestic violence uh, criminal case that was playing out. Well, the independent arbitrator for the MLB has reinstated Trevor Bauer uh, after Bauer has served a year and a half of his suspension. He was originally suspended for what equated to be 324 games. He only served 144 of those games, meaning that his suspension was reduced by 180 games. All right, so that's pretty significant. The Dodgers have to decide now whether to reinstate Bauer to their 40-man roster or not. All right, the upcoming 2023 season is the final year of Trevor Bauer's contract. So it'll be interesting to see what the Dodgers do there um, and if they decide to keep him. But the Dodgers have been pretty quiet on the free agent market. Outside of re-signing Clayton Kershaw, I think they're kind of banking on Trevor Bauer being available and healthy. So uh, certainly keep an eye on that. But we'll move over to college football for a minute and talk about recruiting, the wild world of recruiting. Uh, early National Signing Day was this past Wednesday, December 21st. It's where the high school players can uh, sign their letter of intent to their college that they committed to uh, with the intent to enroll early, all right, and uh, start the spring semester on the college campus. And um, we'll go over the top 10 recruiting classes based on ESPN rankings, all right? And the number that I'll tell you uh, next to the the name here is the number of ESPN top 300 recruits. Now, obviously, those are the best 300 players in the country in high school football. So the more you have, obviously, the better your class is. The 10th best recruiting class per ESPN rankings, 
the Ohio State Buckeyes. They have 12 ESPN Top 300 recruits. Florida Gators are at nine. They have 15 such recruits. Number eight is LSU. They have 13 inside that top 300. Number seven is Notre Dame. They have 15. Number six, my Texas Longhorns. They have 12 ESPN Top 300 recruits. Number five is Oregon. Uh, They have 11. Number four is Oklahoma. They have 14. Number three, Miami, the Hurricanes, back on the radar. They have 16 top 300 recruits. Uh, Number two is the University of Georgia. Of course, reload and refill. They have 19 ESPN top 300 recruits. And the number one overall recruiting class belongs to the Alabama Crimson Tide. No surprise there. They have 22 of ESPN's top 300. This is one of the best one of the very best recruiting classes of all time there at Alabama. All right, just exceptional recruiting by Nick Saban and company. Again, you would expect nothing less. Just simply reload and refill there in Alabama. Tuscaloosa, all right. Crimson Tide going to be very strong for the next several years as they have been uh, for the last decade plus, all right. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about one of the more wild recruiting stories and that involves uh, recruit Peyton Bowen. Peyton Bowen is a five-star safety uh, from Denton Geyer High School here in Denton, Texas, just north of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He is the number 14, uh, 14-rated recruit in the country, the number two safety in the country, and he had been committed to the University of Notre Dame since January 1st of this year. Well, on National Signing Day at his uh, ceremony, he uh, did the pump fake with the hat for Notre Dame and actually committed to Oregon, all right? And then um, just not even 24 hours later, overnight, uh, he never signed his letter of intent. He committed to Oregon that day on, on early National Signing Day last Wednesday, committed to Oregon, but never signed his national letter of intent to go to Oregon. They never received his letter, which was a red flag. Well, uh, we wake up on Thursday to find that um, he was actually committing to the University of Oklahoma, all right, and uh, play for the Sooners. Now, I actually work with Peyton Bowen's dad, all right, and um, so I have a little bit of insider info on this. This story made, you know, if you Google the Peyton Bowen uh, saga, <clears throat> with regards to recruiting, you'll you'll find all these articles that basically uh, detail this uh, wild uh, 24-hour period for uh, his recruiting there and National Signing Day. So I know Peyton Bowen's father. I work with him. So I have a lot of insider info on this. Uh, basically, his final three were, of course, Notre Dame, Oregon, and Oklahoma. All right, now, uh, he really had wanted to go to Oklahoma for the longest time, and Coach Brent Venables kept uh, hot on the trail there with Marcus Freeman, the Notre Dame head coach, trying to get him in South Bend. Uh, Brent Venables kept trying to get him in Norman. And, uh, uh, you know, eventually Peyton Bowen, he just – it came to – he picked Oregon. Obviously, it's, you know, it's flashy. It's a good program. Coach Dan Lanning – uh, as, as the defensive head coach that coached uh, five or six first-round picks last year at the University of Georgia on the defensive side of the football as their defensive coordinator. So, of course, you would want to play for him. 
but his heart was just in Norman. Uh, Peyton's girlfriend is uh, also a Denton Geyer um, soccer player. She's on varsity, and she is committed to play for the University of Oklahoma's soccer team. So uh, his heart was kind of at Oklahoma uh, for that reason. And, um, you know, it, it was just a wild, wild process. Uh, my my insider info that I have by, by knowing his father, I, I spoke to him and he said that Peyton actually signed his letter of intent to Oregon, um, but never sent it in because he got cold feet. All right, those are straight words from from Peyton Bowen's father, and um, you know his heart was just in Norman. Uh, Peyton released a big statement on Twitter explaining his decision, apologizing to Notre Dame, apologizing to Oregon, and to the fans that uh, of each program that were you know kind of disappointed. Um, you know, and ultimately we have to realize that Peyton is an 18 year old kid and, uh, you know, he's trying to decide what is best for his immediate future. You have a lot of things to consider, you know, uh, playing time, you know, as, as, uh, a freshman, uh, prospect of getting to the NFL, you know, all those things to weigh and consider. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's a lot to put on an 18 year old kid. So, uh, Peyton, uh, decided to go to Oklahoma, uh, but again, just a very interesting and wild recruiting uh, period there for Peyton. And uh, like I said, you can Google Peyton Bowen, and um, all the articles with regards to his recruiting will show up. So, <clears throat> but I just wanted to—I mean, that was that was one of the more wild recruiting scenes that we have seen uh, in a long time. So, uh, either way, I you know I'm a Texas Longhorn fan, so. Uh, it hurts my Longhorn heart to see Peyton go to Oklahoma, but uh, I will get to watch him a lot more uh, at Oklahoma than I would probably Notre Dame or uh, Oregon. So uh, I'll be certainly following his collegiate career and uh, hope the best for Peyton and uh, wish him success, uh, except when he plays Texas, of course. But uh, that is going to wrap up the 103rd episode of the Sports Island podcast. All right. Hope you all enjoyed that one. Um, uh, you know, I've been kind of fighting a little bit of a cold, as you could probably hear in my voice uh, throughout the episode. Uh, but I wanted to make sure I'm going out of town this weekend for New Year's. So I wanted to make sure got an episode out to get you caught up on all the latest news there uh, in the sports world. Another terrific weekend on deck. We have, uh, of course, college football bowl games are still going on. We have the college football playoffs on Saturday. Certainly be watching that. We have uh, some wild NFL football coming at you this week, as usual, as the playoff races uh, get down to the wire. Again, we have five out of the seven teams in the AFC that we know. We have four out of the seven teams in the NFC as it sits now. So we still have some playoff spots up for grabs, and uh, the games this weekend will help determine the remaining uh, playoff participants so that'll be uh certainly worth watching on sunday and then of course you know you have the nhl and the nba uh sprinkled in there as well so another terrific weekend on deck for uh for sports and um we will certainly do our best like i said i am traveling this week to go out of town for new year's so uh, i'm going to do my best to get another episode out to you next week uh and and try and get you caught up on on what happened uh, this weekend and how the playoffs turned out in college football and, and what the playoff picture looks like in the NFL will get you 
get you caught up on that uh, on next week's episode. Uh, I, like I said, I hope to have that pushed out again by midweek or so next week, but we will see on that. But either way, uh, everybody have a happy New Year's. Enjoy the holiday. Be safe and uh, be well. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.